Okay, and there's an outline uh, of where we're going on the uh, bulletin supplements you received as you came in. Uh, that might be helpful to show you where we're up to. Which is on page 772. Just so that you're not thinking about it the whole time, um, Beth had some vomits in the car on the way here, which is why all these things happened. How about leadership? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you speak to us through your word. Our Father, we uh, pray now that as we consider it, uh, that you will give us uh, wisdom and insight uh, into it uh, and that your spirit will be teaching us uh, what we need to hear. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a position where what you desperately needed is a second chance. Uh, perhaps in a relationship where you've really blown it. Or something at work where you've made a big mistake and all you want to do is wind the clock back so you can fix it up. And what about with God? You stuff things up with, with, with your relationship with God. You need a second chance there as well. Well, today we're looking at a group of people who got a second chance. Uh, we're looking, as I said, at Acts chapter 3 uh, and the beginning of chapter 4. Uh, and, and structurally, it's very similar to chapter 2. Uh, you may or may not have noticed the structure of chapter 2 because we did it over three weeks. Um, but you remember in chapter 2 there was the, a pouring out of the Spirit, a great sign. And then Peter stood up to explain the sign and made a speech to, to explain the significance of the sign. And then we saw how people reacted to it and the characteristics of the new church that came out of it. The response. And here in chapter 3 we get the same thing again. And verses 1 to 10 we see a sign, a great miracle. In verses 11 to 26 we see Peter explaining the significance of the sign, a, a speech. And then in chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, we have the response. And today we're going to crank up the pace, we're going to do all three at the same time in one sermon. The sign uh, that we're looking at today is, is one of those numerous signs and wonders that the apostles were doing. Uh, at the end of chapter 2, verse 42, it says that, that many signs and wonders, many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. Uh, the apostles, as you know, they were people sent out by the risen Jesus, authorized by him, commissioned by him, as eyewitnesses to the world. Uh, and, and like Jesus, they were especially attested with what the Bible calls signs of an apostle, signs of an apostle. These signs, these wonders and miracles, like the ones Jesus performed. And now we're zooming in on the details of just one of them. We read the sign just now. Uh, Tim read it to us in verses 1 to 10 of the passage. But let me just remind you about it again. It all starts a few weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The time is 3 p.m., prayer time at the temple. And the apostles, Peter and John, are, are heading up to the temple. And meanwhile in the temple, there's this beggar. He's a beggar because he can't work. 
and he can't work because he's lame, crippled. There's something's wrong with his legs and he can't walk. In fact, he's never been able to walk. The deformity he's suffering is, is congenital. In other words, it's been like that since he was born. And this man, I'm sure, was a, was a very well-recognized figure in Jerusalem. People there have known him for years. Wherever they go in the temple, come out of it, they see this beggar sitting at that gate called Beautiful. The gate's one of a series of gates between that connect the, the inner court of the temple where only Jews can go and the outer court where the Gentiles can go as well. And, and every day his friends bring this man to the gate where he begs for alms uh, from all who, who come to the temple. But today would be different. For remember, Peter and John are heading up there at the hour of prayer. And they actually go toward his gate. And little knowing whom he's speaking to, the beggar asks them for money. Because that's what you do when you're in his situation. Peter and John look straight at the lame man. They don't try not to see him, like it's easy to do with beggars. They want an encounter. They also want his full attention. Look at us, Peter says. The man looks at him expectantly what are these worshippers about to give him Peter says silver and gold I do not have there might have been a tinge of disappointment in the beggar at this point but Peter goes on but what I have I give you sounds a bit more promising in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk Jesus Christ the one who died the one whom so many people said came alive again in the name of Jesus Christ walk and Peter takes him by the right hand and helps him up and as he's doing that something happens to the man's lower limbs his feet and ankles become strong like, like they've never ever been before and suddenly for the first time in his life he finds that, that he can walk he jumps to his feet and starts walking around. He, he turns around and goes back into the temple courts, past the gates where he'd been begging, and drawing the use of his legs for the first time ever, walking and leaping and praising God. And of course the people who know him as this lame beggar are astounded. Hang on, isn't that the guy who was crippled from birth? Who sits every day at that gate called Beautiful? We know him. What's he doing bouncing up and down the place like, like a Tigger from Winnie the Pooh? Huh? It, it can't be. He's, he's lame. But here he is, walking and jumping and shouting in excitement, something about how great God is and about him getting healed. What, what's going on? Who did it? What does it mean? And what about those two men with him? Did they heal him? Are they really powerful magicians? Or are they such righteous and good men that God really hears their prayers and, and heals people whenever they ask Him to? So the people stop. And they stare. Filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to that man. And as news goes out about this guy, more and more people come in to, to, to see the spectacle. And after a while, a crowd has gathered and, and watching in disbelief at this man they've known to be lame since, since birth, jumping around for joy and, and watching Peter and John, these two men with him, who seem to have been instrumental in bringing about his healing. They've seen the sign. 
But what does it mean? Peter knows that just seeing the sign is not enough. Signs in and of themselves are ambiguous. Someone needs to actually explain what the sign means. And so Peter starts to explain to the crowd the significance of the sign. And he starts off by being very careful not to take credit for something God did. And so the first thing he wants the crowd to know is that it's not about him. Chapter 3, verse 12. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? It's not as if we did it by our own strength. Not as if that we were so good that, that we enabled him to know. It's not about us at all. If you want to understand the sign, first you have to understand about Jesus. Because he's the one that the sign's pointing to. So let me give you some background, Peter says. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. The God of Israel, the God whom, of, of, of our ancestors, he says to the Jews, he has exalted Jesus. He, he's made Jesus Lord and Christ. And he did this by reversing a decision that you made, namely the decision you made to have him killed. Yes, he says, you and your leaders, you wanted him dead. You handed him over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman judge, and demanded his execution. And when he wanted to free Jesus, that morally perfect and godly man in every way, you said no. And instead you asked him to liberate Barabbas, a killer. Verses 13 and 14. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. God reversed your decision and brought Christ to life again. He is risen. We've seen him, we've spoken with him, we've touched him, we've eaten with him. Where is eyewitnesses, Peter says, the Jews, convinced that God has raised him from the dead? And so, my dear fellow Jews, Peter says, the key to understanding this miracle is Jesus. Verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Peter, an apostle, a representative of Jesus, commanded the man to rise and walk in the name of Jesus. This man had believed in Jesus' name. And because Jesus had indeed been raised and exalted, his name has currency. And so by faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. Confirming the power of Jesus and his place as Lord. So here are the facts as Peter presented them to the crowd. Jesus has been glorified by God the Father in this miracle that shows he is the the powerful Lord, exalted one. And yet Israel had rejected him and killed him. But Peter acknowledges that they did this from ignorance. Verse 17. Now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance 
as did your leaders. Uh, ignorance is not an excuse for evil behavior that they should have known better. Um, so acknowledging their ignorance, Peter is not relieving them of their responsibility, but, but giving them a chance for repentance. Because now they do know who Jesus is, now the resurrection has happened, and it is plain for all to see, then there really is something they need to do about it. Peter understands they might have been ignorant before, but now they are ignorant no longer. You can't look at a lame man jumping up and down in front of you and claim ignorance. The Jewish leadership had been ignorant and wicked in their treatment of Jesus. And yet their ignorance and wickedness was used by God to accomplish his plan. Verse 18. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. See, the Old Testament had predicted that God's king would suffer on behalf of God's people. That he would die to take the sins and guilt and punishment that, that, that we reserve on our behalf so we can be forgiven. That was God's plan. And by sending Jesus to the cross, these people were unwittingly putting it into action. But the beautiful irony of it is this. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all our sins. Including the sin of putting him there in the first place. And so forgiveness was possible, even to those who crucified him. And so Peter says to the crowd in verse 19, Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. It's a fantastic offer, isn't it? It's similar to the offer Peter made last week to the other crowd. It's just in different words. He doesn't mention baptism this time because that was the outward sign. Today he's cutting to the heart of the matter. He says, repent, turn to God. Change your mind about Jesus. Change the goal of your life, the direction in which you're heading. Repent and turn to God and your sins will be wiped out. I love the phrase, your sins will be wiped out. That, that's what forgiveness means. Our sins are obliterated, cancelled, never to be seen again. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to know that your sins are wiped out. And Peter says to the Jews, repent and turn to God and your sins will be wiped out. That's the nature of the forgiveness that, that God offered them in Jesus Christ. That's the nature of the forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus. Paul made that offer first to the Jews of his day and now that offer is extended to us as well. Repent and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. The result of the wiping out of Israel's sins would be twofold. Firstly, times of refreshing would come from the Lord. Have a look with me uh, from the end of verse 19. I'll read the whole verse. Repent then and turn to the Lord, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, it's a bit difficult, I think, to try and work out what exactly uh, Peter means here. Uh, the word translated refreshing can mean um, breathing space, relaxation, relief, rest. 
Um, and the actual phrase isn't really used in the Old Testament in terms of God's promises. He only used once actually in the Old Testament, and at least in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, in Exodus chapter 8, 11, where it's translated relief, uh, when Pharaoh sees there is relief from the plague of frogs. So refreshment can be relief, you know, an end of punishment. And so the times of refreshment, at a minimum, are an end to, end to God's punishment, end of, uh, of the exilic punishment. The time when God's hand of judgment is lifted. But I think the concept, the, the general feel of the idea of refreshment is taken up in the scriptures. Um, particularly in passages like our Old Testament reading today, Isaiah 35. Remember, remember that picture of, of God restoring Israel, but a bigger picture than, than just restoring Israel, it's restoring creation as well at the same time, isn't it? It was a promise for the future. Starts off with that refreshment kind of imagery. The desert and the parched land will be glad. Wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom and rejoice greatly and shout for joy. A picture of refreshment, restoration, new life. Uh, in verse second half of verse 6 and onwards. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become like a pool with a thirsty ground bubbling springs. And just before that, the beginning of verse 6, we see the other image, one particularly pertinent for today. And then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue sing for joy. Jesus Christ in his ministry on earth had made a blind eye see, deaf ears hear, healed the lame, given speech to the mute. It was a sign that he was the one who was destined to bring in the times of refreshment, the restoration of Israel and, and of creation. And though he had been killed, he had not been stopped. He was raised, exalted, and now working through his apostles, and his task had not been blocked, his plan had not been foiled, he was already restoring Israel and those Jews who believed in him and were therefore part of his true people, and to show it he was making the lame man leap like a deer. Restoring the true Israel. And Peter was calling the Jewish people to be part of it. He was saying, repent, turn, so that God will forgive you and send you times of refreshing. You will come under the Messiah and inherit all the blessings the Messiah came to bring even though you initially rejected him. Times of refreshing will come from God. And while we get glimpses of these refreshing times in the ministry of Jesus and the apostles, the ultimate times of refreshing will be at the end. When creation itself is renewed under, under Jesus, God's King. And so the second result of the wiping away of sin will be that, that Jesus will return as King. For, for, for Peter urged the, the people of Israel to repent so that, or with the, the result that, verse 20, that he might send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Remember, Jesus is King. He's been exalted. His kingdom is forever. But his kingdom is not seen at this stage. Verse 21 tells us that, that he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the prophets. Prophet Isaiah prophesied the time when God would make everything new, bring in a, a new heaven and new earth. And so the time of the restoration of all things, Jesus would usher in. And so Peter is urging the Jews to repent and have their sins wiped away and so that this would happen. For in response to the cries of his people, 
God will send Jesus back to wrap up history and rule creation as their new king. Now, as far as I can see, and I could be wrong, uh, and as far as I can see at this stage, it seems to me to suggest that if the Jews had repented, then the second coming would have happened earlier. Seems to, seems to be what Peter is saying. Well, I don't like to speculate on these things, but I think that's what Luke is telling us here. Right? Whether or not this theory is right, um, doesn't really matter anyway, because as we've just been reminded, God is sovereign. And though human beings are responsible for our actions, God is using everything to, to bring about his purposes. Christ might have come again sooner if, if Israel as a whole had repented, but the fact is that Israel as a whole did not repent. And that fact was still part of God's plan. For the rejection of the Gentiles, as we read in Romans, means that the, the, gospels, uh, go, uh, rest, sorry, the rejection by the Jews uh, now means the gospel has gone out to the Gentiles. People like most of us. And so the fact that Israel as a whole ended up rejecting Jesus has meant that more and more people from all over the world are still being saved, which is a good thing and part of God's plan. And yet this offer to the Jews was a genuine offer. For though mainstream Israel rejected it, as we'll see in a few minutes, there was a significant minority who didn't. And we'll look at that in a minute as well. But the final thing that Peter wants to show the crowd is that the appeal he makes for them to follow Jesus is actually in continuity with, with what the prophets had taught beforehand. And remember, for the Jews, the most important prophet was the prophet Moses. And he was the one that God used to rescue his people from Egypt. Uh, through him, God gave the law. But Moses himself prophesied the coming of another prophet, a prophet like him from within Israel. Verses 22 and 23. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Peter says that Jesus is this prophet. And God the Father said as much to, to Peter and to others at the Transfiguration. He, he spoke in the cloud uh, about Jesus. He says, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Echoing the words of, of Deuteronomy 18. Now, of course, we know that Jesus is much more than a prophet, but he is a prophet. And he is, in fact, the prophet that Moses was speaking about. And the thing that Moses said, which Peter wanted his Jewish audience to hear, is that anyone who does not listen to him will be brought to account. Uh, Peter interprets this as being completely cut off from among God's people. So even if the Jewish leadership rejected Jesus, even if the majority of Jews rejected Jesus, that wouldn't make Jesus any less the prophet and any less the Jewish Messiah. It would simply mean that in rejecting the prophet that Moses himself had told them about, they were showing they weren't truly part of the people of God. They may have been Jews, they weren't part of the true Israel. The true Israel at that stage were the Jews who listened to the prophet that God had sent them. The true Israel were the Jews who submitted to the Messiah that God had promised them. The true Israel were the Jews who trusted in Jesus. 
for Moses himself had written about them, said, you must listen to him. The next major prophet after Moses was the prophet Samuel. Well, he was the one who anointed King David, the king that God had chosen to lead his people. He, he poured all over his head as a sign that God had chosen him to be king. Jesus was anointed by God himself, not with oil, but the Holy Spirit. With the actions of Samuel and his role in starting the Davidic dynasty pointed forward in a different way to the coming of Jesus, completely different way from the, the, than Moses, and yet spoke of Jesus. And you can go through all the prophets, one by one, and see how they spoke of Jesus in different ways. And so uh, Peter says in verse 24, Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many have spoken, have foretold these days. See, Jesus didn't turn up in a vacuum. The Old Testament's been talking about him all this time. And Peter says to the people, Now you guys are the beneficiary of all that tradition of prophetic activity. Verse 25. You are heirs of the prophets. Or literally, sons of the prophets. The promises made through them, you are the ones who have seen their fulfillment. They just happen right in front of you. And not only are you sons of the prophets, you are sons of the covenant. Verse 25. You are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your forefathers. When he said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Remember how God had promised Abraham, the ancestor of the Jews, way back in Genesis 12 and 26, that all the world will be blessed through his offspring. Well, the ultimate offspring, that descendant of Abraham through whom the blessing to the whole world will come, was, was Jesus himself. And Peter says to those Jews on that day, he says, you are heirs of that as well. And so the first group to be blessed by Jesus is you, the Jews. Verse 26. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Salvation was eventually meant to go to all the nations, but it was always meant to go to the Jews first. Jesus himself declared to his apostles they would first be his witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. The Jew first and then the Gentile. That's always the pattern because of God's promises to bless through them and the way the servant blesses them in verse 26 is by turning each of them from their wicked ways so Peter says to them here's your second chance to receive the blessing turn from your ways repent and your sins will be wiped out you blew it the first time but God is restoring his people don't blow it again Repent and turn to Jesus now. He's offering a blessing to you first. But eventually, that blessing will go to people from all over the world. Well, how do the Jews respond? Whenever the gospel is preached, we can expect a mixed response coming. Some will accept it, and some will reject it. And that's exactly what happens here. Now, the response of the leadership is found in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. See, the Sadducees didn't even believe in any resurrection of the dead. So they were particularly worried about this. They seized Peter and John 
And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Next week, next week we'll see what happens uh, in jail. But it's a great shame, isn't it? Peter and John, instrumental in bringing healing to this poor cripple. Not only that, holding out God's offer of forgiveness and restoration to Israel. And the religious authorities arrest them. The Jewish leadership of the time was not going to become part of restored Israel under King Jesus. Mainstream Judaism will continue to reject the Messiah. On the other hand, many, many people, ordinary people, responded in repentance and faith. Verse 4. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So by the time we count women and children, we'll probably at least a 10,000 mark. That's, that's pretty good, isn't it? For a few weeks. Huh? Although we must remember, of course, that many of them would have been in the crowds that Jesus had been teaching previously. But 10,000, I reckon that's a pretty good start. And yet they were still the minority in Israel. And so the response from Israel to the offer of a second chance is official rejection and significant minority acceptance. The way things turned out is not really surprising, is it? For within the broader group of national Israel, there was always a minority of people who were the true Israel. They were those who were faithful to God, despite the rebellion of their leadership. And they were the ones who hoped in God always, in spite of the apostasy of the mainstream of the nation. People like the 7,000 of Elijah's time, who had not bowed the knee to Baal when the, when the rest of Israel did. But they were called the remnant in the Old Testament. They were the true Israel, the, the spiritual people of God. And here in the New Testament, we, we see that trend continue. The remnant were putting their faith in Jesus, while the mainstream ignored him, or opposed him. But in that remnant, God was restoring the nation. As many Jews came to take up that offer of a second chance, under the lordship of the Jewish king, Messiah, the Christ. But what about us? Those of us here who are Gentile believers have actually now been grafted into this renewed Israel. We're the peoples of the earth who have been blessed through Jesus, made part of this people of God but by faith in Him. Because through Him the doors of Israel have been opened even to us who may not be physically Jew. For like the Jew of Jews of Peter's day, we too needed a second chance. We rejected God as our king. We failed to love him and obey him as the one who created us. We tried to run our lives our own ways and of course failed miserably in our relationship with him. And so like these people who had rejected Jesus, we were facing God's judgment. But like them, God gave us a second chance in Jesus. His death on the cross meant that our sins were wiped out and we were made one of his people, brought into his kingdom. And now we live as a sizable minority, a remnant, in this world, as we wait for our King from heaven, who gave us this second chance. Do you need a second chance in your relationship with God? Have you failed Him in some way? 
let them down by some, some sin in your life? Or if you simply fail to ever come to him in repentance and faith in the first place and not ask him to make you one of his people? Well, God offered Israel of old a second chance to receive his blessings. If you need a second chance in your relationship with God, then listen to what the Bible says to you. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing might come from the Lord. God has a second chance for you and me as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, Jesus is indeed the King, the Promised One, uh, the One who rules over your people. And we thank you that um, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of the fact that uh, we don't deserve a second chance or any number of chances, that you've been so kind to us and given us the opportunity to, uh, to turn and, and put our faith in him. And Father, we thank you that uh, through him our sins have indeed been wiped out. That you have given us uh, forgiveness and eternal life. I thank you so much for that, Lord. I pray that you help us live as his people. Live, live as people who um, are grateful uh, for the new star, the first second chance that you've, that you've given us. And Father, we pray that um, if anyone here needs a second chance, that that you would you would grant them your Spirit, that uh, uh, they they too would would turn and have their sins wiped out uh, through faith in Him. So we pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.